You know, for the past month and a half, we've, we've been in a teaching series called The Unseen, and we've really been looking all over Scripture at what the Bible says about the things that are going on around us, about the forces that are not visible, but the spiritual realities that are very much present and at work. And so we've been looking at the, the spiritual forces of, of good led by God the Father and Jesus the sun, and then we've been looking at the spiritual forces of evil led by Satan, those in rebellion to, to King Jesus and his ways. And today, the, the question that I really want us to hone in on as we kind of gear into, or as we, as we start landing the plane um, for this series is, man, what role has God empowered us to have in the spiritual battle? You know, another way of saying it is, is what does God expect of us? You know, as, as we find ourselves in 2022, as we find ourselves as God's people, as we find ourselves wrestling with, with what it looks like to be faithful to Jesus, as we find ourselves waiting for Jesus to return and to, to, to make all things new, to make all things right, what does he expect of us? How do we spend our lives? How do we use our lives for his glory? And so the first thing that, that we have to look at as we, we, we have to learn about our role is, is, is we have to look at our leader. Right, and the reality is that if you're his follower, man, there is nothing that we want more than to please him. Right, David? Like, there's nothing that we want more than to be like him. If you, if you look deep in our hearts, the, the burning desire of every follower of Jesus is we want to we wanna please him, we want to imitate him. And so if, if we're going to try to find the, the role that we are supposed to play in the midst of the spiritual battle, we have to start with looking at our leader and how he lived his life. And so before we talk about us, we have to talk about him. And so, you know, you think about this. How did Jesus engage the spiritual unseen world? And we could get really down in the weeds but I want to keep a 30,000-foot view. Just the most basic way I can answer this is all throughout the Scripture, what we see is that Jesus chose to engage in it. That when it came to the unseen spiritual world, Jesus wasn't passive, and he wasn't apathetic. He wasn't self-focused and just making sure that, that he was good with God. No, John chapter 5 says, Jesus said this. He says, I do what I see my Father doing. In other words, what he was saying is he saw his father working in the spiritual world and Jesus chose to engage. He chose to, to invest his life, to jump all the way in. He participated. See, when Jesus stepped foot on this earth, the earth that he created, and he saw the people that he created, he saw the, the day that every single person was born and he saw those people being weighed down by the schemes and the threats and the havoc that the enemy was, was stirring up in his beloved children's life. His posture wasn't to be passive. No, he engaged. And so sometimes what this looked like is that Jesus, um, he, he, he drove out demons, right? And, and we don't talk a whole lot about that in our context, right, in the West, because the reality is that the enemy doesn't have to like, uh, re reveal himself like this. But you get outside of, of the West and you get over in the East and you see this all over the place that the enemy is manifesting like this. And so in the scriptures, Jesus shows up and one of the ways that he deals with the unseen spiritual world is he deals with the demons that are inside of people. But Jesus also engages the spiritual world in different ways. Sometimes it looked like driving out demons, but sometimes it looked like Jesus rebuking and correcting his disciples, especially when their theology was messed up. 
So you have these examples where, where this whole city, this whole village wants nothing to do with Jesus. And James and John said, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? And Jesus is like, no, I do not. Like, that is not what I want you to do. He rebuked James and John. Or, or you look at Peter where, where Jesus said, my way to glory, my way to, to the Father, the thing that he has laid out for me is that I must suffer. And Peter said, no, 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 you don't have to suffer. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You see, the way that Jesus engaged, sometimes it was overtly demonic and sometimes it was the theological, the, the places that were off in our hearts, but Jesus chose to engage it. And I go, so if Jesus engaged the spiritual world, does he expect the same for us? You know, in the West, expect in the United States, man, we are so self-focused. And the temptation is, man, to just, as we await the return of Jesus, to take care of ourselves, to tune everything and everyone else out, man, to, to you know, not stir the boat, to not say anything that's offensive because we don't want to do anything that's going to unsettle other people. And so I'm just going to do the safe thing. I'm just going to take care of me, play it safe. And I go, but does God have more for us? And I feel it. Some of you going, this is making me uncomfortable. That's all right. Church is not supposed to be a comfortable place. A safe place. But to call us out of our comfort. See, what I believe is that God, he doesn't just expect us to be a part of the spiritual battle. God empowers us to be a part of the spiritual battle. And when, when you and I, just ordinary people, just ordinary people who, who understand the, the goodness of God, who, who believe in Jesus, who have, who have received his grace, who have let him forgive our sins. Ordinary people who go, you know what? I've tried the ways of the world and, 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 and it's unfulfilling. And what I want is King Jesus. I want to surrender my life. When ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit of God, those are the most enjoyable people God loves to use. And when we choose, man, to, to not play it safe, when we choose to take our eyes and our focus off of us, there is unbelievable joy, joy for us, freedom for others, and glory for God. And so my question for us is, do you want that? Do you want more joy in your life? Do you want the people around you to experience more of the goodness of God? Do you want more glory to be given to God? Do you want your life to count? And so 2 Corinthians 10 is going to be a beautiful launch pad if this is you this morning. So this is what our brother Paul writes to church in Corinth, his second letter to them. And this is what he says in verse three. I don't have any slides. So you're gonna have to read in your Bible. Brother Paul says this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Verse four, on the contrary, they have divine power. Listen to this, to demolish strongholds. Verse five, we demolish arguments and every pretension, every lofty idea that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let's listen to that one more time. For though we live in the world, this is 2 Corinthians 10 verse three, we do not wage war, war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and we take and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And I love this so much. How does the world wage war? What are the weapons of the world? Look at Russia right now. How are they waging war against Ukraine? Look at, at ISIS. How do they operate. And the reality is, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but the ways of the world, it's, it's physical. It's, it's using physical strength to overpower, to coerce, to make you do what I want. The weapons of the world are, are control and manipulation and blackmail and dominance and cheating and fear-based. And Paul says, guys, we don't play by the world's rules. We don't look like the world. We don't operate like the world. We most certainly do not live like the world. He says, man, we follow a king who took the beatings on his body, who didn't give them to other people. We follow a king who taught and who embodied to turn the other cheek. We follow a king who used his earthly life to serve people, to build up others, who brought about freedom and deliverance for people in their physical bodies. His life was not marked with coercion. His mark. His life was marked with concern for others. And ultimately, the reality is that Jesus was looking for people to serve him. But when we serve Jesus, when we, when we, when we choose to leverage our lives to serving him, it's the most light, the most joyful, the most fulfilling way to live this life. Jesus never used people to elevate himself. No, he loved people. And he was always out for their best interests. He says, on the contrary, the weapons we use have divine power to demolish strongholds. And all week, that phrase has just been lingering in my heart. What we have been given has actual power. There's, there's actual real power inside of us because of King Jesus to engage and to impact and to set free and to help other people. In every one of us, in you, Jason, in you, Kelsey, in each and every single one of us who've given our lives to Jesus, there's real power to help other people, not just to help other people. He says this, to demolish strongholds. I love that language of demolish. Think about last fall, we had all these pumpkins, all these jack-lanterns that our kids built, and you know, we're getting ready for Christmas, and so we told our kids, hey, just go destroy the pumpkins. And it was like, the, it could have been Christmas morning for them, right? They're just taking them, and they're throwing them as high as they can, and taking their bats, and just destroying. There's pumpkin seeds everywhere, and, and they're just demolishing. And I'm going to love this intentional word that Paul uses, because he wants us to understand what's God, what God's intention is for the way that we help other people. That you and I would get to be a part of destroying the strongholds in people's lives. Do you hear that? You know, so what's a stronghold? A stronghold, there's a positive side and a negative side. A stronghold is, is a fortress, and you see it in Scripture all throughout the Psalms, that, that God is my refuge, my strong tower, my hiding place, that God is my fortress. A fortress, a stronghold, is a place that, that you go when, when you need God's help. But you also understand in Scripture the, the negative side of what a stronghold is. Is it a place, it's a prison. It's a place that you don't want to be. 
place that's taking you captive, that, 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 that it has control and power and influence over your life. And, and so you think about this. Let's, let's be real for a minute. What are the, the strongholds in our lives? Let's get more personal. Are there any strongholds in your life? What I mean by that, it's, it's, it's less like places that you every once in a while stumble in. And it's, and it's more like something that is powerful over you. You know, for some, maybe the, you have a stronghold in your life of a really hardened heart. Yeah, it's a stronghold. A hard heart to God, a hard heart to others. Man, you, 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 you refuse to be corrected. You refuse to listen to God. You, you refuse to be humble and listen to others. For others of you, the stronghold is a need for approval, to be recognized, to be validated. It's a stronghold on your life. It, it owns you, controls you. For, for some, man, it's, it's lust. It's porn, it's sex. For some, it's, it's gossip, it's, it's slander, it's a stronghold in your life, it's powerful over you. For some, it's a, a lying tongue. For some, it's greed. For some, it's self-promotion. For some, it's bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. For some, it's cynicism. For some, it's fear. For some, it's ungodly anger. For some, it's pride. I go, is there a stronghold in your life? You see, and part of, of what it means to, to follow Jesus is that as his followers, we have to be really honest. We have to deal with our own stuff. I love what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, my brothers and sisters, he says, first, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you can help your brother or sister deal with the stuff, the sawdust in their eyes. And I, and I love this because Jesus doesn't say, hey, take the plank out of your eye and don't worry about anyone else. He says, no, 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 no. You deal with your stuff, and then you're useful to help other people. So how do we deal with our strongholds? And guys, it's, it's actually pretty simple. It's, it's through being humble. Man, it's, it's through admitting that we're weak and it's powerless. It's through confession and repentance. It's through turning to Jesus, through knowing God. And there's something that happens when, when we get really serious about dealing with the strongholds in our life, when we don't pretend like we're not there, when, when, we, when we bring it to a trusted brother or sister and we say, you know what? I feel like there's a stronghold of lust in my life. Or I feel like there's a stronghold of gossip and, and it's controlling me. It's, oh, will, you, will you help me? Guys, God wants nothing more than to demolish those strongholds in our lives. And he wants nothing more than to, to use other people to help bring this about. I'll be honest and, and just kind of share a, a way that this has come about in my life. And many of you have heard this before. But I remember several years ago, um, just this ungodly anger was, was rising in my heart. And I noticed my two oldest kids, they were, they were young at this time, maybe three and one or something like that. I remember one day we, we, and we're driving home, we, we pulled in 
the driveway and they were just being little kids and they were in the back seat and they were yelling or they were fussing or something. And I realized I just, I raised my voice and everybody in the car got quiet and court looked at me and she's like, whoa, we've been married for seven years. I've never seen that. What's going on? And I started to, to notice, I started to like this, man, that, that when my kids were getting loud or when things were out of control, I was just getting angry and I would just raise my voice. And when I would raise my voice, everyone would get scared and, and they would stop. And, and I liked that, that everyone was at, at peace and I liked that my anger subsided all the chaos. And, and yet there was this problem. God was starting to reveal this to me, like that anger incredibly ungodly. How do I know that? Well, I wasn't doing that around you guys. I never did it around my coworkers. I never did it on Sunday morning. There was something about the hiddenness of, of that, that I was okay with. I was being a hypocrite. I wasn't being that person all the way around. And so God started to, to reveal this stronghold. God, this, this ungodly anger is in my heart. I don't know how to deal with it. And so one morning, many years ago, um, before worship here, I was walking around Marathon outside praying, and, and I picked up in this back parking lot, there was a, a, a nail to the, the railroad tracks just sitting in the parking lot. I'm like, that's interesting. Picked this huge nail up. I'm like, I'm sure I'll use that for you know, some teaching analogy. It looks like in, you know, some, some, sometime that'll come useful. So I throw it in the, the floorboard of my car. Go home, normal day, normal afternoon. That night, I'm at prayer gathering. And my friend Stoney, if you guys know Stoney, incredibly gifted, prophetic brother of church family. And he starts asking me, he's like, hey, is anything going on in your life? And I just, for whatever reason, I'm just like, yeah, dude, I'm just struggling with anger right now. And he's like, well, let's go pray. And so he and I got away from the group and we're starting to pray. And, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm getting this image and he says, and in the image, I'm seeing this bridge. And on one side of the bridge, it's you with your kids. And on the other side of the bridge is the place that you're trying to lead them, the, the husband, the father, the man you're trying to be. Like you're trying to take them from this side of the bridge to that one. He said, but he said, every time you get angry, he's like, I'm seeing these nails just come up from these boards. He's like, all these nails are coming up. And he said, your anger is actually working against the thing that you're trying to do. And he's like, do nails mean anything to you? And I'm like, dude, there's a nail in my, the, the floorboard of my car. And it was just this moment where I'm like, God, you're really serious about me dealing with this anger. And, 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 and so there's, there are these times in our lives where, where God will really put his finger. Maybe it's this morning. He's like, let's deal with that cynicism. Let's, let's deal with that stronghold of fear in your life. Let's deal with that stronghold of control. Let's, let's deal with it. And the thing that you're going to have to do to deal with it is to bring it into the light. And God will demolish it. It doesn't mean that I'm imperfect. It doesn't mean that from that point forward, I've never gotten angry. I put that nail right beside, you know, beside my bed so I can remember. I go, guys... God will help you. He's here to help you. He wants your freedom. He wants you to, to, to be a, the same person in the hidden places as you are in the public places. And as we, as we deal, as we take the plank out of our eyes, we deal with our own stuff, we're actually 
able to help others? And I go, man, how do we help others? Well, I think it's pretty simple what that looks like, just as followers of Jesus, that we just get in the habit of, of just praying. Like anytime you're around people, just get in the habit of just starting to ask God, hey, God, will you open my eyes to what you're doing? That's what Jesus did. I just do what I see my father doing. So whenever you come to church, whenever you're at house church, whenever you're um, you know, hanging out with, with friends from school, just start praying, God, will you open my eyes to see what you're doing? I'm coaching my son and my daughter's basketball team, and there's this girl on my daughter's basketball team. And every time, you know, there, there's the end of a quarter, she comes up to me and she's like, I'm ready, put me in, please. And it's annoying, but I also love it because, <laughs> because what she's saying is, I, I don't want to come out, I'm here. And as we pray, as we come to God and we say, hey, open my eyes, I want to see, I want to be useful today. We, we pray, we, we pay attention you know, to what God presents. So if we're praying, if we're asking God, hey, will you use me? Do we actually expect that God's going to open doors? And so when we pray, let's walk into those rooms, into those spaces, expecting God to open doors. And when God opens doors, let's be people who partner with God. Yesterday at the end of the basketball game, we were walking out of the gym and one of the girl's mom, she starts to tell me, that her knee's really hurting and they're about to go celebrate their anniversary. And she's like, we're gonna be walking around a lot. And, and, and I just feel the spirit of God go, hey, pray for, pray for her. And I'm like, man, she's not a part of our church. I actually don't know where she is with Jesus. We've never prayed like that before. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you feel like God's just stirring you something and it is uncomfortable. But I'm like, no, this is what I'm here for. I'm not here to, to coach third and fourth grade girls basketball just to, you know, to, to help them learn the game. I'm here as God's man. I'm his missionary in this league, in this city, and so are you. And so I prayed for her, and I get done praying in the middle of the gym, and she goes, that is exactly what I needed. Thank you for praying. And I'm like, oh, thank you. How do we help demolish the stronghold? Sometimes it just looks like being really willing just to pray. You know, he keeps going. He says, we demolish arguments, verse five, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I wish I had so much time to, to dig into this. This is strong language, you know, Paul. This is, this is, listen, he says, we demolish arguments, and I want you to hear this. What he's not saying is that as God's people, this is a license for us to just go around demeaning people. That, that this, is, this is permission for us to engage in conversation with people who share, who present, who hold inaccurate understandings of God. He says, we demolish arguments in every lofty idea that comes up against the knowledge of God. And so what that means for us is this, as his people, it's not just about dealing with, with the strongholds in our lives, that we are actually called to help other people. And, and what that means is that, that we engage when people have misunderstood ideas of who God is. And maybe you don't feel equipped to do that. I want to say a couple things here. What's implicit, what's hidden in this passage is, is that we actually know God. So when we're talking at a party with someone, they share something about God, 
and, and we go, hey, I'm not actually sure if that's true or not. And they, they're kind of jaded and bitter, but it's actually not God's fault. And instead of being passive, that, that, that we have confidence because we know who God is, but it's not that we just know God. What else is implicit in this is that, that we as God's people are actually prepared. We're studied. We know what his word says. Guys, and so much of, of this happens in the hidden places. I love that, that um, Cole and Leah chose that song. In my hiddenness, God, do you see me? Absolutely. It's in the hidden places of just the daily discipline of praying. The daily discipline of being in God's word, the, 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 the practice of receiving freedom prayer. If you haven't received freedom prayer and you're a follower of Jesus, go receive freedom prayer. So much of our preparing for those conversations where, where someone is talking about God and we know that it's not right, it doesn't happen in that moment. So much of that happens in the off season. It's, it's about putting ourselves in places to be equipped. You know, my, my buddy A.T., he was a part of our church family. He, he just says, dear brother, and he wanted to pursue acting. And he knew that in order to be an actor, he had to get all these skills. And so he went all over the country getting these trainings so that, that it would equip him to, to be an actor. And, and I love the, the tenacity with which he approached being an actor. And I go, do we approach being followers of Jesus that same way? That, that, that we want to be equipped for the hard questions. That those are not just questions for, for me or Andrew or Dave or Aaron. That, that, man, you go, man, I want to be a part of, of helping destroy the strongholds in people's lives. Dave Wilson, one of our elders, he and his wife, Drew, they lead a grow class on apologetics, how to answer, how to engage the hard questions. If you've never read Tim Keller, Read The Reason for God. Listen to his podcast. He's a pastor in New York City. Understands engaging skepticism. If you want to learn how to engage with people in a meaningful way in arguments, not for the sake of arguing, but for the help of helping them actually know God. There are resources. Reach out to us. We've got all kinds of podcasts and books that will send your way. You know, we live in a world where, where people ask all kinds of questions. There's all these arguments. Man, if, and I'll just give us one, and then we need to, to get through this. You ever, you ever wrestled with this? Maybe you're wrestling with this today, or maybe you have someone you're wrestling with this question. Man, it's not fair that God would send people who don't know him to hell. I remember my, when I was working in campus ministry, there was a freshman in college, and he came up to me, and his girlfriend was not a follower of Jesus, and so she was wrestling with these questions, and, and he really just kind of said this, I don't know how a loving God could send people to hell, and I actually don't know if I want to follow a God who would do that. And as I really wrestled with that question throughout the years and read about that question, you know, the reality is, what do we know about God in this area in Scripture? People who don't who don't know God. What do you see God doing in Scripture? I think about in Acts chapter 10, there's this man named Cornelius, a really righteous man. He was not a follower of Jesus. God appeared to him in a vision. Or I think about in Acts chapter 8, there was this man from Ethiopia. He did not know Jesus. Jesus sent Philip to him. Tapped him on the shoulder. Philip, go talk to that guy. 
I love 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 14, one of the most beautiful passages that describe the heart of God. It says that God devises ways so that those who are banished from him will not be banished from him any longer. Man, so what do we, when, when, when people go, I don't know if I want to follow a God and, and, and I don't want, I don't, I don't, why, would, why do I want to believe in a God who would send people to hell? People who don't know him. Why would, how can I get behind that God? And so what we know from scripture as you actually read the Bible is God is in the business of revealing to those in supernatural ways. I was wrestling with that question with my friend when he was a freshman in college. And I go, man, what do you see God doing all over the world? And I go, what I see him doing is appearing to to people in the Middle East in dreams and in visions. I see him stirring the church, what is going on in Aaron and Amy's heart. And, And I go, man, what you see in scripture, what you see going on in the world is that our God is actually active. I actually don't think that question is a question about the the goodness of God. It actually has to do with how we're gonna spend our lives. God's made it clear what he's doing. And I see, guys, that, that for us to be prepared, to not just let people bash our God and talk bad about our God, man, it should, it should drive us to want to know the scriptures. Or you think about this, have you ever heard that, man, that, man, the Old Testament is this really angry picture of God and the New Testament, thank goodness for Jesus because it's just grace and, man, I'm just so glad we have the New Testament. But the reality is if you read the Old Testament, you see the grace of God all over the place. Read 1 Kings chapter 21, one of the worst kings, King Ahab. The end of his life, he fasts, he repents. God notices God rewards him. He spent his whole life working against God. The moment he changed, the moment there was repentance, I go, man, there's grace of God all over the scriptures. So often the reason we're fearful of those questions is because we just don't know. It's in those hidden places that we know. And then I love the way that he ends. He says, man, take every thought captive. Make it obedient to Christ. Not every thought that comes through our head is from is from God, and it's not from us. He says, take those thoughts captive. That's strong language. It's take control of it. Your thoughts, you're called to control. They are not, control, they are not called to control you. You have the authority. He says, make them obedient to Christ. Bring them to Jesus. Let Jesus speak into those thoughts. Man, have you ever tried to train a dog to sit, to train a dog to, to stay? Do, you, do they usually take it one time? Maybe you're a better dog trainer than I was. No, you, you, it's over. It's repetition. And the same is true that we have these thoughts that come in our mind. And he says, take them captive. Bring them to Christ. Bring them to community in prayer, man. And when you're gathered with your house church, when you're gathered here in just a minute, we're going to take communion. And, and I encourage you to, to open your heart. Man, maybe you have a deflated view of yourself. Maybe you don't think you matter. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you have an inflated view of yourself. That you're like, man, the world would be a terrible place if I wasn't in it. Maybe you're, you have these anxious thoughts. And, I, and, and, and what Jesus says is take those thoughts captive. And here in a minute, we're going to take communion. 
And the way you take them captive, the way you make them obedient to Christ is you put them before him, you let him speak into them. And again, this is freedom prayer. This is a place where the, the thoughts that are in your head that you know they just don't sit well. They're making you agitated and anxious and fearful. They're not from God. He wants to drive those out and replace them with his truth. And I love what Paul does here. He empowers us. You're called to engage. And so for some this morning, man, maybe the, the step that you need to take is just to be more serious about being in the word. Just go, you know what? I need to be developed in the hidden places. And I've been neglecting that. Repentance, just start today. Some of you go, you know what? I have friends and family in my life right now that they're asking hard questions and I don't have good answers. And so maybe the thing you need to do is to reach out to us. Send us an email. We'll send you some resources. We'll help you. We'll equip you. For some of you, maybe you, you have the answers and you share the answers, but you have people in your life and their hearts are just hard. And maybe what God's calling you to do is to keep praying, to keep praying that he will destroy those strongholds. But all of us, man, it's, it's the joy of God to be a part of tearing down strongholds in other lives. Here's what I want to invite us to do. I want to invite us to stand. We're going to, we're going to take communion. We have bread and juice all around the room, bars and tables. I invite you to, in just a minute, I'm going to pray. You can go get it. You can come back to, to uh, the, your chair. And I encourage you just to circle up with the people that you're with this morning and be really honest and go, man, is there a stronghold in your life? If there is, confess it. Or is, is there a stronghold in someone's life that you love? And if there is, man, pray for them. If you need to receive prayer, there'll be some men and women that respond, man, and we'd love to pray for you. If you're having just these thoughts that you need help taking captive, and for all of us, I just encourage us, man, let's, let's ask God, hey, would you use us? Would you empower us? And so let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thanks for these people. Lord, if there was anything that I said this morning that was not from you, let it be forgotten. But would you let the words that were from you really stick into our hearts? God, would you um, remind us that you have filled us and equipped us and that you're empowering us to be a part of your good work in this world? And so use us to tear down those strongholds. Let us be free people that help free others. And we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, let's go and take communion now. If you want to receive prayer, we'd love to talk to you at the Respond Banner.